Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Reflect Forward. I'm your host, Carrie Siggins, and I'm so glad you were here today. Today, we're going to talk about persuasion. In life, it's very important to be able to persuade people, persuade people to adopt your ideas, to consider your ideas, to ask your opinion, to orchestrate the outcomes that you want. Let's face it, we all want to be influential. We want to influence the outcomes that we want. It does not matter who you are, you know, what kind of personality you have, where you are in an organization, we all want influence. And to have that influence, you need the skill of persuasion, especially as a leader. Right? If a leader, you are trying to share a compelling vision. You're trying to inspire people to change. You're trying to negotiate a contract, negotiate an acquisition. You're trying to convince customers why they should do business with you. It is literally a never-ending pursuit of getting people on board and believing in the mission. And so today I want to talk about how you can be more persuasive and you can do it in a way that inspires people to change, that gets helps people get on board and believe in the mission without feeling coerced or manipulated because that's the worst or sold to. I have a tendency when I really, really, really want to have a person buy in my, into my idea, I oversell it. And that is not effective either. You've got to know when to stop pushing. So I want to talk about all of that today. So how do you do it? Number one, and this is my tip in life for everything, is use positive language. Positive language is so much more inclusive and inspiring than negative language. And a lot of leaders use fear-based language to try to persuade and motivate people, but that's not high impact. That's not people-focused. It's not really the right way to inspire lasting change. And in my opinion, Positive language is the secret weapon. Let's face it. People always want to hear, yes, do more of this. That's great. Or, hey, if we do this, this is what success looks like. And yes, there are these trade-offs. And yes, there are these risks. But here are the benefits. That's so much better than if we don't do it this way, we're going to fail. That is not how you inspire people to get on board with what you're trying to achieve. So use positive language. I just had this conversation with one of my employees recently. It was in a little bit different context. We weren't talking about how to persuade somebody, but we were talking about how you inspire people. And we were talking about the use of the words set up to fail versus set up to succeed. And as we were talking through it, and he said something about being set up to fail, I was like, hey, let's actually pause for a minute. Because when you say set up to fail, that conjures negative emotions. That puts people on the defense and it puts you in the victim mode. It is not very persuasive to say, if we don't do this, we're going to be set up to fail. Instead, why don't you say something like, let's set ourselves up for the best possible success. If we do it this way, we're so much more likely to be successful in our mission. How much more inspiring is that? You literally can have the same exact conversation but it has such a much more empowering feeling when you say set up for success versus set up for fail all around the same conversation. So the use of positive language is absolutely my number one persuasion tool in your toolbox. People are going to get on board and be so much more inspired if you use, yes, we can. Let's do this. Here's what success looks like rather than this will be create failure if we don't do this. This is going to be painful if we don't do this. There's a time and a place, of course, for maybe that kind of negative language, but I say use it rarely. Turn everything into a positive statement, even if you're having a tough conversation and you're so much more likely to get people on board. Negative language causes people to shut down, get defensive, and not really hear what you're saying. 
The second aspect of being a persuadable leader and a person is that you need to know what you're talking about. You need to be credible. Credibility matters. If you want to persuade people to see something your way, then you better be knowledgeable about what you're talking about. So before you go in to try to persuade someone to buy into your idea, make sure you know the pros and the cons, the risks and the rewards, the potential trade-offs that you're going to have to make. Speak confidently about the change that you want to make, including the outcomes that you want and the risks to get there. People are more likely to be persuaded when they perceive you to be an expert, to know what you're talking about, and believe that you have their best interests at heart. So go in prepared, know what you're talking about. Don't just try to persuade and wing it. I should say credibility matters and that preparation time will benefit you when you're trying to get people on board with your ideas. The next thing is to listen and listen carefully. The power of persuasion is not just about convincing people to buy into your idea, it's about listening too. People are much more likely to be persuaded when they feel seen and heard, when their opinion counts. So listen to them, ask their opinions, work it into your ideation, work it into the solution that you're trying to come up with. And don't just listen to the words that are being said, listen to what's not being said. Nuances like tone and body language, all of those things matter. And when you listen well, then you're more likely to pick up on those fears that people have, and then you can address them, bringing people along, not just ignoring it. So that brings me to my next tip, ask questions. Curiosity is one of the most important traits that leaders can have, especially when you're trying to get people to buy into a mission or an idea or a movement. You need to be curious about people. You need to be curious about their motives so that you can help orchestrate the outcome that you want. Why? Well, when you understand what their fears are, their perceptions, their concerns, then you can mold the way that you are talking about your idea to address those concerns. You might miss a whole idea or something that is really important because you didn't ask enough questions and didn't give room for people to speak up and say their piece or to ask their questions themselves. So ask people directly about their concerns, ask them what ideas they have show that you care about their opinions. And you might learn something that helps move the needle, that helps move things along a little bit more. Or you might get a new piece of information that helps you change your mind. I just did this recently. I had an idea about how I wanted to structure a team. And I really liked my idea. I thought that there was some goodness with it. And I called a trusted person on my team and I said, hey, what do you think about this idea? And he gave me really honest feedback. He said, look, I understand what you're trying to do and I appreciate the intention behind it, but here are some of the downfalls. Here's some of the risks that would come with it. And I'm not sure that's the right time for it or if it's the right thing for the company. Maybe we just need to do what we're doing for a little bit longer and give it a chance to work out. And I so appreciated that wisdom. And if I wouldn't have called him and asked him about it, then I would not have this different type of perception that definitely helped me rethink how I wanted to pitch this new organizational structure within the company. So I was really, really appreciative of his feedback and it would not have happened if I just wouldn't have asked some questions. That leads me to being willing to compromise. Give and take always matters when you are trying to get people on board with a new idea or with change when you're trying to orchestrate an outcome. Coming to mutual agreement is always better in the long run than just trying to force your idea through, trying to force the change through. 
Remember, being a high impact leader is not about always getting your way. It's about creating a shared vision that people buy into. When you compromise, it's so much easier to persuade people to join in in the movement because they feel like they have the ability to impact the idea, to impact the movement, to impact their work or their effort on whatever you're working on. So compromise is really important. Just don't come in trying to shove your way down their throats without hearing what they have to say, considering their opinions and ideas and compromising it as you are finding a solution that will work for everybody. The next thing is to give people space. You might be really, really excited about something and you want people to get on board and just see your vision and go, yes, that's a great idea, but that's unfair and unreasonable. People aren't necessarily going to get on board immediately. They need time to process. So give them time to process. Let them come to terms on what agreeing or even disagreeing means to them. People need that time to think. They need time to process. They need time to come up with the questions that they might not be able to come up with on the spot. They need time to process their feelings that they might have about something. Maybe this change is going to spark something emotional within them and they have an initial reaction, but that's not what their response is going to be as they process through the change and through the emotions of what something might mean to them. Give them a chance to sleep on it. Give them time to get on board or to ask questions or to maybe see your perspective without them having to say, yes, I'm in immediately. And then finally, follow up. Rather assume that everything is good only to find out that people are silently resisting an idea or they're not really on board. I've made this mistake before where we've talked about an idea. I pitched an idea. We brainstormed. Everybody says, yeah, it's a good one. And I went and implemented it. And then later on, I found out that people were second guessing it and they went home, they had those second thoughts, they had questions that came up, but we were already moving forward and they didn't feel comfortable stopping that train. And so I learned that really what we need to do is always make sure we follow up and circle back and say, hey, did anybody have any questions before we go forward? Do we want to rethink this? Is this still a good idea? That helps. In fact, now we use the term, is this an idea or is this a plan? And we can brainstorm an idea, but very rarely do we just go marching off and doing it. Mostly we say, okay, sleep on it, think about it, you know, talk to your team, come back with new ideas. Let's really make sure that we do our due diligence before we go and act to this. And that has helped us make sure that people have the space to second guess things, to question, to sleep on it, to process emotions, all of that before enacting. So be proactive rather than, you know, assuming everything is good or waiting for them to return to you, give people that chance to ask clarifying questions, express concerns, and share with you maybe that they're not 100% on board, even if they said that they were because they did sleep on it and had some questions. If you do this, it shows that you care about their opinions and their feelings. You want them to be part of the change and on board with it and that you think that their opinions matter and that their opinions could potentially change the outcome of the decision and ideally make it better. I think that's a really important aspect of this. So those are my tips on how to be a more persuasive leader. There's lots of other things that you can do, but these are the things that I really think about. Use positive language. Make sure I know what I'm talking about, that I'm prepared. Listen carefully. Ask questions. Be willing to compromise. Give people space to process and always follow up. I think this is a really good model for being able to get people to buy into an idea and into a mission. Okay, on to my question of the week. So my question of the week comes from a friend of mine who said, 
I made a huge mistake at work, KP, and I feel terrible and it's causing me all kinds of anxiety. How should I manage through this situation? I love this because let's face it, we all make mistakes at work. I mean, like every day I make a mistake at work and it can feel embarrassing. It can feel overwhelming and and you feel like, oh, this is something that's really going to hurt my career, hurt my relationships. You have that emotional response where your hands get clammy and your heart races and you can't sleep because you just spiral on the mistake you made. So I get it. I understand. It happens to me frequently. So here is what I do when I make a mistake at work and I need to process it and acknowledge it, own it, and then move forward. So the first thing I do is I acknowledge my feelings. When anxiety sets in, you don't want to tamp it out, right? That's the worst thing that you can do. Don't dismiss your feelings. It's okay to be embarrassed. It's okay to say, I made a huge mistake. That's a normal part of processing all of this. It's our body's way of responding to a perceived threat. So it's okay to say, I really screwed up. I'm embarrassed right now. I feel anxious about this and it's okay. I'm going to get through it. All right. So you acknowledge how you feel. The next thing is to pause and reflect. A lot of us want to just dive right in and try to fix what we've done. And some of us might want to just run away from it and hide from it. But if you take a moment to understand the error, what happened, then you might not make things worse. A panicked approach might lead to making things worse. Then if you just pause and say, I'm going to process what happened, I'm going to reflect on my mistake. I'm going to see the bigger picture. I'm going to be able to understand how the mistake happened, and I'm going to build a strategy on how to rectify it. That is how you can lead yourself through this situation so much better. So pause and reflect. Understand why you made the mistake. Have a plan on what you're going to do. Strategize on what you're going to do. So that way that you can go into the next tip, which is confess and rectify. Honesty and transparency are key, and people will forgive you for making a mistake. Most people will. Maybe 1% of the population out there might not. That holds on to things. But everybody makes mistakes. And it's okay, especially if you are honest about it and you own it. So tell whoever you need to tell about your mistake as soon as you can. Your teammates, your boss. And I know it can feel daunting and embarrassing. But remember, everybody makes mistakes. They're an inherent part of being human. But owning up to it is how you show people that you are responsible, accountable, and professional. It shows people that you have integrity and those things matter. Those are all characters that matter. Doing things perfectly, that's not a characteristic that matters, right? We don't ever do anything perfectly all the time as human beings, but integrity does. How we show up when we make mistakes matters. So confess it and tell whoever you made the mistake, I have a plan to rectify it. So that goes into the next tip, develop a plan. After you've been transparent about your mistake, the next step is to say, here's how I want to solve it. So once you understand the root cause of the mistake, you can create a clear and concise plan on how you want to fix it. And if you have a plan to fix it, you can gain control over the situation. You can change the outcome, right? Humans can change the outcome of our situations. And we live in the past, right? We live in making these mistakes and we can ruminate on it. And we assume that the outcome is going to look a certain way, which can look pretty scary, but that's not true, especially when we have a plan to fix it, when we know we're going to take action. When you have a plan, it helps you gain control over the situation. You can go to your boss, you can go to your teammates and you can say, all right, here's what I want to do. What are your thoughts on this? Do you have any feedback? And then you can take action. 
And that is how you can reduce your anxiety. And these next tips I think are so important is practice self-compassion and learn and adapt. And they go hand in hand together. Mistakes can hurt, but don't let them destroy your self-confidence. It's so easy to spiral into that negative self-talk, but be gentle with yourself. Making a mistake does not mean that you're a failure. It means that you're human. It means that you're learning. It means that you're pushing yourself to try new things. You can learn from this experience. And what you learn can make you a better person. It can make you a better leader. It can make you a better teammate, better spouse, better parent, all of those things. And that's why learning and adapting matters. No one ever says, oh, that was so easy. I did it perfectly. I learned so much. No, it's when we screw up that the growth happens because we have to learn how to get through it. We have to be resilient. We have to bounce back from it. So take some time to learn the lessons that you need to learn from the mistake. Use it as a stepping stone for your professional development. My biggest mistakes have been my biggest growth opportunities, but only because I've chosen to learn and adapt from it. So have a growth mindset. Say, if I screw up, I'm going to learn from it. I'm going to do everything I can to make the situation as good as I possibly can to make this as powerful of a learning situation as I can so that I can be better going forward. And then finally, as always, if anxiety is getting the best of you, consult a mentor or a therapist or a coach. It's beneficial to talk it out with somebody if it is really causing you a lot of mental distress. Mental health matters. Your well-being matters. And if you can't go through these steps on your own, then it's okay. Ask for help. There is nothing wrong with asking for help. In fact, there's so much courage in asking for help. So talk to somebody if you need to talk to somebody. If your anxiety is getting the best of you, seek help and have them help you walk through these steps, help you analyze what happened and help you put together a plan so that you can practice these things. You can practice self-compassion and you can learn and adapt, but get through it with the support system that you need. In the end, it's crucial to understand that mistakes are part of the journey. In fact, they should be part of the journey. It's not an indication of your worthiness or your capacity as a human being or your capability as an employee or a leader. It's part of our growth. It's part of what we do. Just like kids make mistakes so they learn, adults do the same thing. So if you use these tips, you can manage that anxiety. You can recover with grace. You can recover with gratitude. And you can grow as a professional. And that's what we are all here to do. All right. That is this week's episode of Reflect Forward. I hope this was jam-packed with all kinds of good tips for you. I appreciate you tuning in and listening. If you like this podcast, please write a review, share it with a friend, subscribe to it. It always helps with the algorithms. And check out my new book. It's out in October. If you're interested in it, it's called The Ownership Mindset, a handbook for transforming your life and leadership. It's filled with actionable advice and stories, just like these podcasts are. And I would really appreciate if you pre-order one. So you can go to my website, you can go to Amazon, you can go to Barnes & Noble, just search The Ownership Mindset, Carrie Siggins, and you can find it. So with that, I will leave you. Have a great day. Thanks so much. See you next week.